Blog Talk Radio. at the Saints uh, facility, 
Uh, and so tonight, FS1, Fox Sports 1, at 7 p.m. Eastern, I'm sorry, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, uh, you're going to see the NFL Films documentary on the Women's, uh, Women's World Football Games 3 that happened in November of 2015. And you listen to a lot of, a lot of the top-notch players on the USA football team, Aspen Marshall, uh, Laura Baden, Lisa Horton, um, so uh, Steph Mackey, uh, a lot of the international players, as, as uh, some of them had mentioned, never realized that there was so much, uh, you know, football going on internationally as well. Um, we cover it pretty much wall-to-wall, continent-to-continent, and uh, we're very fortunate to have a networking group, networking bases, uh, a lot of talented women feeding us information about their leagues, about their players, their MVPs. Uh, so it's spreading like wildfire. Uh, welcome to Gridiron Blitz right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com alongside the always informative Troy Wilson. And today we have special guest. It's going to be Holly Custis of the WFA uh, Seattle Majestics, who was at the camp at the time. Uh, and so she's going to give us a little perspective. Uh, and at 6.30, she's going to bail because she wants to take a look at see uh, at 7 p.m. East Pacific what NFL Films is going to do and how they're going to present that uh, event to the world on Fox Sports 1. It's a big deal. Worldwide, Fox Sports 1. So it couldn't be any, any bigger platform. So, um, Troy, Holly, um, just a little tidbit of how big this event has gotten. Um, we got to give a shout-out to Sam Rappaport and her staff as well for putting it together at USA Football. Uh, Sam obviously has moved on to <laughs> beyond USA Football, which is an, a, an accomplishment in itself, now working with exclusively at the NFL uh, in New York. Um, and then you also have, uh, you know, Dr. Jen Wilker, who kicked off the year before, and then also Katie Sowers with Atlanta, getting an internship with the scouting. Um, so En-ROADS are being made internally uh, in the coaching and, and also in officiating, as we have an article on our Facebook page. You can go there now and kind of take a look at that aspect of it as well. So um, let's start with you, Holly. Give us a little uh, tidbit about the event, uh, what we're going to be probably seeing in terms of the uh, – the FS1 uh, showcase on the feature at the NFL NFL uh, presents tonight. Uh, so tell the fans what they can expect tonight. Um, well, this is one of the best events that I've ever encountered in my t- entire life um, for several reasons. First of all, I went to the, the first uh, version of it a couple of years ago uh, when it was uh, down in Dallas. Um, and I think our first one – I think we had like maybe 60 or 70 players from maybe eight or nine countries somewhere in there. That was was pretty awesome in itself. Um, I missed the the following year um, because my team happened to have a preseason game the same week um, against uh, Team Mexico, so I was really conflicted, but I chose to stay home. Uh, kind of um, uh, sad that I did because I heard great things about that one, which was in Tampa, and then this one was in New Orleans. Um, and it was historic because it was at the New Orleans Saints facilities, and that was the first time that any NFL team has ever invited uh, women's football uh, to be at uh, any kind of facilities that they, that they have. And when we got there, there ended up being, I believe it was 224 women from 17 countries. And so just in three years, it's it basically tripled. And the, the one of the cool things about it is, like you heard in the preview, you don't realize that uh, women's football is so international until you actually see 
all these people in one place. And when you get there, one of the coolest things about it is you get issued a, a helmet, you get checked out one uh, for the, the time that you're there, and then after you get fitted for it, they put a decal on decals on the sides of your helmets that are basically the flag of your country from wherever you're from. And so when you look across the field, you see all the different flags, and it's a really cool feeling. Um, another thing that's um, really awesome about it is because there's so many different people from different countries, there's also um, uh, languages, obviously, is an issue depending on how uh, much the individual um, speaks English. There was one girl that was from Japan, and she's the cutest person I think I've met in my entire life because she didn't speak a whole lot of English, but she walked around with this little notepad, and then you, uh, she asked people to put their English version of their name into the, the notepad, and then she would translate it into Japanese, which is really awesome. Um, the coaching staff got more uh, international this time around, too. You had uh, kind of a mentorship-type program for the coaching staff. So there was one girl who uh, has played in Italy and now is coaching in Italy. Um it was just incredible to be number one at the facilities, which are really nice. You walk in, and it's it's incredible to walk into the team rooms where the NFL players, you know, meet in their individual groups. So I'm walking into the linebacking group, and I'm sitting exactly where the Saints linebackers sit. And maybe I should come down and help them, you know, because they seem to be having some issues this year. But it was really incredible to see what they see, to sit in the same rooms, to see, uh, you know, all the motivational posters and sayings that they have everywhere, uh, to see the, their training facilities. Uh, we got to sit in their cafeteria. Their cafeteria is really, the people that worked in the cafeteria and, and uh, uh, served us food were so kind and nice, and the food was really actually really good. Um so we got treated, you know, basically how the NFL players would be treated when they're going to training camps. And it was incredible. And it, I, we felt a newfound respect for what we do uh, from, you know, the facilities, from the people involved with the Saints. They had a couple of players that stopped by and talked to us. The coaching staff was incredible. It was it was amazing, and this actually happened right before uh, my injury. So it was incredible because I was on such a football high when I came back from that trip. And um, so basically what you'll see is they uh, took aside, you know, several people um, from different countries and, and, and different players and coaches, and they interviewed them. Um, they also came and, you know, filmed some of our drills and practices um, at the end of the camp, they divided us up into three different games. So you had a beginning game, kind of an intermediate game, and an advanced game so that um, everybody could get in and get some experience. And so the NFL Films crew was there to film it. Um, so that's probably what you'll see, um, a lot of uh, interviews and a lot of clips from the camp. Uh, but it, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had. It, I can't wait to go back. Uh, this time around uh, in Orlando um, in January. Yeah, and it, this is this has gotten huge because I remember when there was only like close to 100 players, and then all of a right. sudden, you know, things started to grow internationally, 
And I've told people before, uh, Germany basically is probably the oldest, the oldest uh, country that has, that has international American football because of the military and everything else that's happened with our country and being overseas and everything. Then it spread right. out really big into, you know, the, uh, the British realm of things, which is in London. And then it started to grow a little bit in terms of uh, France. And the last year, the last two years here, Poland and Czechoslovakia have put together, you know, some of the squads in, in actual leagues now, not just, you know, exhibition, you know, teams playing each other. And then in Italy, uh, you got the CIFAF who has grown in two years, basically also. And now they've, they've started to put a uh, international squad, just like the Australian squad this year when Jen went down, to, down under to help them put together a team with uh, Coach Konecki uh, to, uh, to try to field a team for the 2017 IFAB World Championship. So, so Holly, encompassing all this information that I just you know, put together, uh, it just looks like the games themselves have inspired other people to just you know, connect with everybody, but at the same time elevate the sport, not just from an exhibition recreational aspect of it, but to a serious format in terms of 11-on-11, some leagues start at seven to nine, and then they build their numbers in terms of interest. Uh, a lot of it in, uh, in Australia, for example, uh, come from the same background that Jen came from, where she played rugby first. So in Australia, a lot of the numbers, like uh, Gridiron New South, Gridiron, uh, uh, what did we say, Victoria? Gridiron Victoria last week announced that they are going to go ahead with an 11 and 11 uh, format starting in 2017. So the growth of the women's game, uh, not just, you know, in the States or in North America and aspects of it, now it is, it's kind of like a, I wouldn't say a bad rut, a bad, uh, you know, uh, situation, but it's, it's actually getting better and better and better because of the interest. And then a lot of players coming to the camp, like you said, to enhance their skills, making other players in their homeland way better at the game and more inspiring. At the same time, the level has, has increased. I mean, just in Finland and Sweden alone, uh, uh, Finland and Sweden basically uh, equal to the U.S. and Canada in terms of, you know, allure in, in Europe as being top-notch, you know, countries for American football. And then you got to take Germany into account. So, you know, because we cover it on our, on our network and because we cover it on Twitter and Facebook and we, we network with all these people, uh, a lot of people don't even realize it. And I think it's going to be eye-opening for a lot of people when they watch it on FS1. It's 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 incredible. Um, you know, I've been a person who going to camps has really helped me develop as a player. And I try to I'm basically like a a walking poster board for going to as many camps as I possibly have been able to go to because it automatically makes you better as a player. Like it, it doesn't the minute you walk onto a field at a camp like this, it makes you better because people have you know, money and time and effort to get here. And, and when you're spending that kind of money and effort and time to get to a place, you, you obviously care about it. And so people are, they're present in what's going on. They want to learn. And, and that energy level, it brings everybody up. And another thing that I find incredible is some of the coaches, you know, they learn a lot because some of them come to these camps and uh, some of them have, have coached women before and some of them haven't. And so um, it's really interesting to see their perspective change throughout camp 
and how they'll come into camp thinking, you know, a certain set of expectations for us. And at the end of the camp, they're totally blown away. And so it, it just, it's an exciting time to be involved in a sport. Like I can't tell you when I first started playing, I would have never imagined that we would have ever been on NFL films. Like it, it just, it wasn't a thought. I mean, it was a dream, but I never it would get to this point. So we still have a ways to go, but the progress we've made in just the short time I've played is incredible. And, um, and the networking that takes place at these camps is incredible. When you leave camp, you know, in, in a world full of uh, social media and, and Facebook, it's incredible because you leave with, you know, 223 new friends from several different countries and it makes us an even bigger family. And so when events happen across the world, when there's events that uh, happen, in, you know, in France, like we're all checking on each other. And and so that's incredible to be a part of. And I think what people will see during the programming is how connected we all are to each other and how much we all believe in this. And I think that's what uh, really takes people by surprise that aren't familiar with it is the excitement level. And I will tell you there there was a, a kind of a practice right before the games in New Orleans where NFL Films was there uh, to get some footage for everything. And the intensity level for that was, was as high as a game. Like, I, I'm telling you, like, it was intense, but in a really fun, good way. Um and you, you we have the next incredible. wave. I think we have the next wave of evolution, you know, because uh, players like yourself, uh, players before you, now we're starting to dive into the coaching aspect of the sport. And we're talking about on the level like, you know, the Utah girls football level, uh, the Georgia girls football level. We're starting to get the uh, – the grassroots mentality in terms of the girls' participation, just like the Manitoba girls' football, you know, organization that started originally, uh, you know, to, to kind of like bring that out. Now, uh, you know, recently, uh, we're talking about the last six months to last year, uh, we're having, you know, a lot of girls, and I'm talking about teens, in their, you know, now in teens, not just the youth level, but we're talking teens, you know. Uh, Catherine Restula was featured uh, this past week. Uh, Brooke Lidsby, we've, we've uh, you know, supported Kristen Moore, uh, Savannah Milton. Uh, so if you follow our No Joke Football brand on Facebook, you can pretty much know who these uh, girls are. But overall, the, the amount of girls that are getting onto, uh, you know, onto high school squads and trying to make a difference, kind of like Sammy Grisafi was at one point, you know, in the back of the day. So it's, it's starting to grow. And then, like you said, the coaches in the high school level have started to accept uh, the idea that they need them into the co- into the team, whether it be a kicker or whether it be a defensive aspect of it or an offensive. I mean, the the attitude is inclusion is accepted now more so than before, where there was a lot more resistance. So I think this brings to light just not the fact that there's women playing American football now, but the opportunity is there for them to be beneficial. And a lot of the girls that are kickers are very successful soccer. You know, they're good at soccer. So they bring that aspect of their uh, of their you know their key game to the football realm of things, and, and that's inspiring because you know the, the difference between winning and losing sometimes is three points, and if you know, if, if that goes up the uprights, there's a winner, and, and that individual is part of the team no matter what. So that's the, that's the awesome thing about it. 
Yeah, I I think uh, for me, uh, even on a on a bigger scale, is uh, you know, kicker was a position that you started to see people get involved in more, or at least being accepted. Um, because I think because it was a less physical position. I think what you'll what you're seeing now is more women or more girls, depending on what level you're talking about, are more comfortable with taking on other positions. So you're talking, you know, on on the defensive line, offensive line, you know, playing some running back, some some defense. That's I think the the bigger shift for me, the biggest difference that I've seen in the last ten years. And I think with the building of this network that we have with our sport, I think we've done a great job with promoting each other. So you look online and anytime anybody sees a girl that plays somewhere, we are all promoting it as much as we can because we understand that the more that we get out there, the more other girls are going to see it and the more they're going to be inspired to start playing. And um, I think it's really important that we continue to do that. And I think that this show hopefully will uh, help that out on on a bigger scale. Um, Because once people are are aware of what's going on, most people really like it. It's just that the hard part has been getting the word out and getting information out. Yeah, and and the intangible has always been we got two, two leagues in a puzzle. If they got their act together, I think it would go forward faster, as we talked about in the past before. But overall, you got to applaud Sam at USA Football for, you know, being being the pioneer to set forth the camp at least and bring together a lot of international players as well as the uh, the North American realm uh, and and showcase them uh, where everybody's playing ball, not just in the states but overall overseas. Uh, Troy. Uh, what's your what's your thoughts on this? I mean, huge event. Well, now it's on FS1 as a coverage on NFL Films. Holly was prob- was there also. So, what, what's your thought? I mean, you're new to the. You were new. You've only been here, uh, you know, under a year. And so, the, the women's game. I don't think. Did you ever think women played American football? I mean, I did um, because I, you know, locally, uh, you start to hear a lot about the DC Divas, and you know, so you kind of, you know peek your head up about that, but I didn't really get immersed into it. Uh, I think the first time I was really put on their radar and kind of piqued my interest is when, you know, I'm at a, at a Redskin game and, you know, the DC Divas were announced in 2015. They were returning um, uh, from a trip from, from the championship game where they beat uh, Dallas. And so, you know, that was, I was like, oh, okay, you know, the DC Divas. I said, all right. So, you know, I kind of looked into it at that point. And then, um, you know, and then in case she asked me would I want to come on the radio with you guys, and I said I would gladly do it. So that was the first time I was kind of, like, um, immersed into it. Uh, but I did have a question about uh, the USA football where, you know, around the nation, um, I, I'm assuming that a lot of team, a lot of you guys have, have pitched, um, you know, the same idea. So what made – I just want to know what made the New Orleans Saints kind of open up their doors so to speak, to allow, you know, the USA football event to happen there? I'd have to say that you're talking about the work that Sam did and uh, that Elizabeth did. Um, This has been a long process. Um, I don't know all the details on the back end, but I know enough to know 
that um, Sam really spearheaded it, and uh, and Elizabeth was right there with her. And these people really worked hard. Like I'm talking, when you go to one of these events that they put on, every year it's got better and better. They handle it in such a professional way. You arrive, and everybody has their equipment. Everybody, there's people there to size your helmets. It they they really take it seriously, and they're very organized about it. So I can only imagine that that's what happened, is that uh, behind closed doors, they really worked hard to get in front of the right people, and they were able to get the right people uh, to listen to them. And um, from my understanding, once they got in in front of the Saints, the Saints were really excited about it. Uh, So that's basically what happened in a nutshell as far as I know. Good stuff, good stuff. I mean, because it is it's just for something for an event like that to happen, and it become international, and to see the success, the success behind it. Hopefully, what you know, with the expose tonight on FS1, it'll draw more interest, and that'll also allow some of the more of the NFL owners to to come out and and have these things. And I'm wondering if these things are discussed in the NFL owners meetings. Um, if this thing is kind of like passed around the table as far as like the success that that's coming from it, and I really do hope hope it garners it, it garners more attention because it definitely needs to shed some light on it because you are seeing quality football at all different levels, all different leagues, and I also wanted to figure out is is going to an eleven team, I mean eleven player team, does that kind of legitimize? The, the the women's game because you do see a lot of the women's games where they're going I believe it's uh, it's nine on nine like the LFL I believe that's nine on nine so going to eleven to eleven that sounds like something that was a point of emphasis does that legitimize it does it take it to a different tier how does that work yeah um, depending on the league that you're talking about um, I've always played uh, eleven but I've I've always played in in the larger leagues. Um, there are smaller leagues that will, you know, start out with eight just because they don't have the base of players to pull from yet and they gradually build up towards it. Um, so you're talking mainly to smaller leagues that have had to do that. Uh, but internationally, they've had to do that a lot as well because, again, you're talking about not only the barrier and obstacle of being a female football player, but you're talking countries aren't very big on football in general. So, uh, yes, I do feel like it legitimizes it in the eyes of the general public. So the players who are playing, you know, on seven, seven, eight, nine-man teams, they're playing just as hard as they, they would on 11. But to the outsider who doesn't understand the dynamics of it, I think it does legitimize it because the general public understands football uh, 11 man. And so when they see 11 man, they, they see something they're familiar with it. And um, I think to them, it makes more sense. And then if you're talking about uh, that type of person looking at seven man, they might not take it as seriously. So yes, I do think it does. And also it seems like yep. with the 11, with the 11 man uh, teams, uh, it, it it's better for facilities, you know, because if, if you're playing with the seven, eight, nine, you know, uh, players on each side, then then typically you would see the field condensed because it would just at that point just be a track meet. And then you're also limited because there are not many venues that have that short of a field. 
where you're playing on a 50-yard field instead of 100. So I think that adds to it also. Yeah, it's probably a lot easier to plan uh, your events. You don't have to worry about having to make your own field because it's already there. So that that makes sense, yes. Well, you guys, I'm going to play a clip here of uh, Madeline Northern, who was on, featured on uh, USA Football. So just give you a clip, and I know, it's, Holly, you're going to bail in a couple minutes here. So let's just let's play a clip of Madeline uh, Northern who was the first uh, female high school quarterback in the state of Wisconsin. So take a listen. My question to you is, have you won over your teammate? No, I don't think I ever will. So does that affect you going forward, or is that something that just motivates you? It motivates me, and I don't think people realize that. They think that if they keep saying hurtful things to me, that it'll make me want to quit or it'll make me want to stop doing what I do. But it pushes me to get better and to keep competing against them. My story is I play football. Um, I'm the only girl on my team. That's how it's been for the past three years. It's been hard getting into the team. The guys don't really accept me sometimes. And the coaches have been tough. But I got through every single year with the love for the sport. And I'm going to keep going. I decided to start playing because some guys at my school told me I couldn't. I brought the idea up to them saying, I want to play football. It seems like a really nice sport to be playing. It'll teach you a lot. And they just told me I couldn't. So I went out for the team and I made it. It was a drill where we stood between two bags. And I had the ball and then they were trying to hit me. And the kid nailed me. And I just got right back up and I was like, this is what I want to be doing. This is a sport I love. I've never really seen women football players before. I've seen like shows, but it's not realistic. So seeing actual women playing in pads and tackling each other, it's pretty cool because I can be up to that level someday. Quarterback really teaches you to work with your other teammates because you're not just getting the ball. You have to work. You have to look at your linemen. You have to watch people that are crashing in, and then you have to make quick decisions. I've always had a tough time with coaches, but I did have this one my second year playing. He told me to go all the way through high school and then reach the NFL, and he was probably what helped me get through all those years. And my dad has been a big part of me sticking with what I do. Um, at first, I guess a lot of people thought, she's a girl. But my family has now accepted that I play and they think it's awesome. And I don't know, like some people come up to me and they say that I'm an inspiration. Little girls coming up to me, for example, like age of like 10, saying that they want to be able to me. It's, I've never heard that before and it makes me want to keep going for them. So that was um, uh, Madeline Northern, who plays out in, in the state of Wisconsin, and she was featured on USA Football because she was at the tryouts. So um, there you go, you know, Holly, uh, like the next level, as I was saying before, now we're looking into high school level, not just the youth level at Sam Gordon level. Now we're getting into, you know, um, everybody else above that level now, where there's certain high schools now that are just bringing in. And she's an exception to the rule, like you said, not a kicker, uh, not a defensive player. She's kind of like Brooke Litsby, which is a quarterback, which, and technically, if you put them at a higher level, um, so – Troy, I think you would agree. That's a lot of a lot of intellect, a lot of things to learn. And for a girl, on top of it, like she's saying, there's a lot more doubt in terms of uh, can you can you do can you basically play the position? Basically, is the attitude. So uh, 
But, I mean, she's proven it three years already. She's played with it. Um, Brooks played with it, too. So it's kind of like, you know, do you really want it? And, and it's the drive to prove everybody wrong that you belong. Starting off no, from I... the ground floor. Yeah, I mean, starting off from the ground floor, that has to be – that has to be pretty tough. I mean, you're starting from just looking at it from an interest standpoint and just actually learning the game. And then to go out and play the game, the physical taxing that it takes, the mental, um, you know, the mental things that you have to go through to, to play the sport very well. I mean, it's got to say, speak volumes for her. Holly. Oh, sorry. I almost lost you. Yeah, I'm I'm just saying Madeline just, you know, she's been playing for three years. She First year was probably a shock to her, but the second year she probably got into that dive her nails in, as they say, and, and really, you know, started to study. And now third year, I mean, she's the leader of a football team. It's not like she's on the sidelines. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I think um, her story I, I think is going to basically multiply because we're going to see more and more players start to do that. But I definitely commend her because quarterback's a hard position. And so it's hard, you know, I've seen rookie quarterbacks throughout my career, and it's difficult enough to come onto the football field not having played before. But then you add on the fact that you're trying quarterback as well, because that's a whole other level of understanding the game and seeing what's going on. And the fact that she's doing it on uh, a team full full of guys has to be very difficult for her, but I definitely commend her for sticking through it. And I think that throughout the course of our sport, that's pretty much the story of, of every you know female football player you will encounter. Is at some point someone has doubted them about playing football, and um, at some point they decided to to just keep going and use it as motivation. Um, at the end of the day. Was you know the person who's deciding if you're going to play is going to be you, and so I think her sticking through it is going to be a great example for for other people, and um, I think we'll see more and more of that. All right, I know you got to bail because you uh, you gave us 30 minutes, and you guys are going to go check out together as a team, and nationwide, pretty much everybody I think is going to be on focus on 7 p.m. Uh, Pacific and 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, so uh, we're going to let you go. I really appreciate you making the time today. I know you got tight schedule and your work schedule and everything else, and I wish you well in the rehab. Uh, you're welcome back anytime, as we said before, so uh, you're always enlightening uh, in, in and very informative, and we appreciate that. And so, uh, you know, go Niners, right, at this point? <laughs> um, we're, we're trying. <laughs> seriously, I know. We're trying, I'm, but thank I'm you even, so much I'm, for I'm shocked my Rams are. My, I'm shocked my Rams are 2-1. With a with a punter and a well, kicker progression, I guess I'm uh, I'm happy with Gurley this weekend. <laughs> well, hey, you you uh, for some reason the Rams have the Seahawks number, and living in Seattle, the Seahawks fans just don't understand it, and it's really kind of funny to hear. So, at least you can go to sleep knowing that the Seahawks fan has no idea how you keep beating them. Seriously, I I was even shocked. I I, I had talked to Troy, so they were going to get our asses whooped and. So I take I have to take my words back. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'm gonna get ready for the show, but thanks for having me on. All right. All right, Holly. Well, make sure you guys link make, make sure you guys link it up, uh, Holly. I've I ended up posting on the groups about making sure everybody 
puts it public instead of private on their um, you know their their board so that we can get more feed on the news feed. So I hope everybody does it, and that way we'll get more uh, exposure. All right, sounds good. Have a good night. Okay, Ollie, thank you. All right, Troy. So there you go. It's a big big night tonight. Uh, it's actually probably the biggest night in women's. Uh, in terms of women's uh, football, because in the States foremost, uh, and then obviously overseas again, this is huge. Uh, Fox Sports 1, NFL Films. I mean, you don't get on a platform. Sometimes you get on a platform where it's, you know, local radio or Comcast or, you know, something local, you know what I mean, where you get just a, a little tidbit, news bit, and you're included with a 10-minute. This is a whole feature, and it's going to feature Odessa Jenkins. Uh, it's going to feature Katie and Liz Sowers, the twins. And a bunch of other players, like uh, Holly was saying, they were featured from some of the international teams. So um, DVR, if you got a DVR, uh, it's going to be tonight at 7 p.m. It's about half hour from now, 10 p.m. Eastern. And uh, check it out on FX1. And I'm pretty sure it will be a replay at some point on YouTube. So as soon as the replay comes on, we will go ahead and share it at that point. Uh, since we're talking women's football, let's – Let's dive into that aspect of it, and let's give the updates for this week. Um, so we're going to go down under, as we always do during the NFL season. And so uh, you can uh, chime in, Troy, here. Uh, Gridiron uh, Queensland, week seven results. The Stingrays, 5-0, and uh, undefeated since the championship in 2015, last, uh, no, well, last uh, November, uh, January. So uh, undefeated, 5-0. and uh, Rays take care of business against the Ravens, it was a rematch of last year's final, 44-8. to uh, Stingrays just seem on a roll right now. They do not seem to be stopping. They had that 102-0 uh, opening win. Uh, that was a historic win for them. And they're undefeated right now, 5-0. and They sit on top of the uh, standings right next to uh, the Jets, the Logan City Jets, which they also won 34-0 against the uh, Southern Coast uh, Spartans. And so uh, hats off to Lauren Evans, our quarterback, No Joke Football supporter, and Christy Moran, our running back MVP, No Joke Football supporter, as well as the other No Joke Football supporters on both squads. And so congratulations to them, Kanisha Sims as well. And uh, you had uh, the Thunder, who's at 4-2. and two. Very surprised team this year, the Thunder. Uh, they're mixed in with a little bit of the Stingray uh, players and other players from other teams. So they've stayed competitive, 4-2. and two. The Thunder win 44-0, taking on the uh, Brisbane Saints. And the Saints have had, you know, numbers issues plus injuries, so uh, that's an issue there. Let's preview Week 8 right now. Week 8, October 1st, coming up right now. Uh, it's going to be Ravens versus Jets. This will be a rematch of the opening weekend of this year, Ravens versus Jets. So we're looking at 3-2 uh, and two Ravens looking to stay in the hunt in the playoffs, looking at the 5-0 and o Jets. Ravens look to upset here and see if they can get the win. Jets have always tough, uh, you know, former champs, very good squad, uh, and always uh, you got uh, Special K who's running the ball, so it's always, she's always deadly. Uh, so then week eight, uh, week eight starts with Ravens and Jets, and then it's going to be Stingrays versus Thunder. Waiting for that one. It should be interesting. Um, we have a, a, lot of, a lot at stake here. The Thunder is 4-2, uh, Stingrays 5-0. Probably the toughest test so far for the Stingrays, I think, in, in the season. Uh, and then you got a winless match. And this is always fun, Troy. These two teams uh, on the schedule, they are 0-5. So it's a battle of who's the better squad. 
whether it be the Raptors or the Saints. So battle and winless. You always get that one in every season, I think. So it's uh, well, the Saints, how they how they do this year. Yeah. Well, the Saints haven't haven't scored yet this year, and the Raptors have only scored eight points. Uh, so that's somebody's going to have to get off the schneid. Um, I, I'm I, I'm very interested to see what the score of this game is going to be because it's going to be interesting to say the least. You, you sound like a frustrated coach already. Like, can we put up points, people? <laughs> I mean, five games in, and you haven't scored a point. That's that doesn't that doesn't sound very good. Yeah, but you know what? The, the the other squad, they're so dominant. I mean, the Rays and the Jets are so dominant. And then the Thunder's made up of pretty much a blend of veteran players, too. So, you know, it's uh, – I mean, besides the Spartans winning one, they're one and four. Uh, the Saints, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming they played well. They've played some decent football, but not enough to wow anybody with the points. So, like I said, this is a battle of winless – squad so we'll see who is the victor at the end and it earns that one victorious um you know win column um Iron, new south wales you can go to facebook right now and check out the uh w raiders features a weekly feature um and that's a highlight reel of the colts the junior team the women's team and the men's squad so go check it out you say uh, renee hahn our Norwegian football supporter kate gardner uh, as well and they're in action. So check it out. They win week four, 30-0 uh, versus the UTS Gators. UTS Gators this year have been literally uh, just getting bombed out. So hopefully they will improve and, and do better. So week five has a showcase. The Newcastle Cobras taking on the Raiders. I just do not see anybody in this league right now, um, you know, beating the Raiders. Just have to throw that out there right now. They're just, they're just too dominant. Within, but you never know. You know, there's always surprises, but I just don't see it. And then week six, uh, round six, excuse me, October 8th, the next week after that, it will be the clash. The champs versus former champs. It's going to be uh, Northwestern Phoenix, which at this point are a good squad, number two in the the gridiron New South Wales, taking on the UNSW Raiders. So that's going to be a great matchup there. Um, So we're looking forward to that. Uh, the LFB, the uh, Liga Football Bikini out of Cancun, we'll get the results on Twitter and on Facebook. Um, and then um, you can check it out. It's pretty much the Barracuda still in the first squad lead. So you can check that out. And October 1st, matchups we'll post on Twitter and Facebook as the uh, LFB um, C uh, League posts them up on their feeds as well. Um, congratulations to Martina Colson, our quarterback, Northern Football Supporter quarterback out of Germany, uh, to the Berlin Cobras for winning their uh, German championship, Division One championship. So we want to give her a shout-out, as well as all the uh, Berlin Cobra ladies out there. Congratulations. Ninth championship. And, Troy, we had talked about last week, uh, historic franchise, and you said it, uh, top-notch coaching, top-notch players, very good recruiting, and obviously excellent shows. Nine-time German League champion, the Berlin Cobras. All right. So uh, let's go into the uh, college realm of things, Troy, because I want to go in the NFL later. We'll go in the NFL a little later, but uh, let's go into college right now. Um, Let's start with some of the protests. Everybody's been hammering me on Twitter for, you know, from protests from the high school level and now to the football level. And you said before we talked about this in depth with Nkishi, uh, you know that this was going to, I wouldn't say escalate, but the awareness is going to be building, and it's building now basically from 
the lower level to the higher level, and it didn't help that this past weekend or so there was other incidents that happened with policing as well. So it's kind of like uh, a situation where now it's getting to the sports realm, but it's bringing more attention as well to the fact that you know it has to be addressed somehow, either local level, like we talked about, government level, has to be at the police chief level. Uh, it really has to do with you know uh, whoever's in the communities, the communities that it's, that these things are happening in. Uh, for example, Charlotte, for example, uh, there's a lot of things, even the, the National Guard was brought into play. So do you feel like at some point uh, we're going to get some sort of uh, a bad in, incident in, in a stadium scene? Because I think that's where everybody's the fear factor now is, is it, will, it, will, it, will it go into a stadium scene? Because right now it's, it's been a very calm, you know, protest, which is, you know, kneeling, standing, you know, raise the arm, which is all, you know, which is all in their right to do which a lot of people disagree, but, you know, in reality, it's, it's a right to do. So what do you feel at this point since what's going on? Will it, will it transcend into the football field where I hope we don't get, you know, fans into a scuffles and stuff like that. And then all, and, and ultimately, yeah, hopefully we don't get to a point where a player gets some, some point injured because of it. Well, I, I do think it's going to, it's going to find its way into the stands. I just think it's inevitable. And I think it's because, you're going to have people in the stands of all walks of life and all kinds of life experiences. And, and, you know, there's going to be, everyone's going to stand up for the national anthem and there are going to be people that are sitting down. There are going to be people that are, you know, doing whatever other than standing up and putting their right hand across their heart and someone's going to take exception to it. Now, whether or not these things get publicized, I think is the biggest, is a big thing because in my opinion, I don't think, uh, you know, fights in the stands need to be publicized. I don't think that's I don't think that's the narrative. I, I think I'm really happy about is the awareness that has come about it. And initially, it was it was a very negative connotation. It was a very negative uh, response to Colin Kaepernick. But there have been so many people that have joined in. Doug Baldwin, you know, uh, last week called for all 50 states, you know, for their um, you know, for their district attorneys to, you know, rethink uh, how they do policing. And, you know, so I think that's that's incredible. That's a great step. And then, you you know, you saw last night on Monday Night Football, uh, you had Atlanta and New Orleans who took the protests a step further, where after the National Anthem was saying they went to the middle of the field, both teams joined hands, uh, right at the 50-yard line, and just made a wide circle, joining hands. That's that was that was a signal of unity, and those are the things that you want to see. You want to see everyone on board with it. I, you know, I, I applaud Colin Kaepernick for doing an individual move, and I also applaud um, you know the team owner Jed York for standing behind his guy. And I just I just love to see how everyone is being aware of it. And if you watch college football over the weekend. Any of your NFL teams, uh, even high school football, which you saw, you know, during the national anthem, you, you, I didn't see, I haven't seen as many national anthems in, in my, you know, remembrance of watching football, with the, you know, with the camera crews are now doing, it's panning across the sidelines to see who's sitting, who's standing. Uh, they're also looking into the stands now, and I think it's just great awareness to a problem that this nation is facing at this point. And that's, I think that the big concern, I think, isn't necessarily what they're doing. I think the biggest concern is hopefully it doesn't spill to 
a violent stage in the stands. I think in a, in a sports realm, I think that's really the root. And I think professionally, um, the NFL has done well. If it had been criticized, you know, right, for not uh, standing up, but they don't have a right to do that anyways. And a lot of people I don't think realize that. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of a lot of stuff that people on one side or the other were because of, you know, okay, I'm a patriot or whatever. Okay, well, that doesn't, has nothing to do with the anthem. You know what I mean? It's just the concept of it is – I think everybody's missing the concept, the, the the fact that we have to do a better job locally within the communities that are being affected, because if it if it happens in one community, it's bound to happen in every other community that's going forward. You know what I'm saying? So it really has to do with the fact that our local leaders, like you said, you know, from district attorneys to local congressmen to whoever needs to be addressing the issue, um, needs to be addressed. You know what I mean? You can't just, it's not a sidebar anymore. It has to be addressed. And, and you know, based on the law, and based on on what happened, and based on the facts, um, you know, you you come to a conclusion, and then at that point you take care of it. But you know, rioting and looting, I think, is where most people uh, have that fear factor that maybe it'll step into the uh, sports realm, which I, I I don't think it will because a lot of the a lot of the players, as you said before, it's not like they're condoning violence; they're actually you know protesting in a in a in a profound way, which is basically expressing their discomfort or their not agreements with it or how things have to change. And I think that's the message. And hopefully, you know, you don't get, like you said, knucklehead people out in the stands just doing their stuff just to do their stuff. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, once this comes, once this comes to a head, I think what you'll start to see and what I haven't seen yet, and, and I'm not sure if we will, it depends on what, what you know, um, whether this comes to a tipping point where you had last year with the University of Missouri, uh, their football team decided, you know, uh, unanimously that they weren't going to play the game until the president of the university stepped down for racial comments and, and not taking, um, you know, uh, racial issues seriously on campus. I think that's what's going to happen because what you have is is that these athletes they they they're contractually obligated in so many instances, and that's whether it be on a college or professional level. That yeah, I mean they're not getting paid, but they did sign a contract or you know for their scholarship, stating that they would play a football game. So I think what's going to end up happening is that someone's going to actually leverage playing on the field, you know, to, you know, to, to get some kind of change. I think that, you know, eventually that's just, that's just going to happen. It has to be the right amount of people. It has to be everyone joined together with the, to make some kind of change. Unfortunately, it has to be something that drastic because, uh, you know, I think that it's great that all of these protests are coming out, but are we going to see some real change behind it? I think this is a step forward. This is by no means the end of it. But I just think going further, going forward, it's going to be more and more, you know, protests, and they're going to be more and more profound, as you saw last night with Atlanta and New Orleans. Yeah, and and that's the message I think that needs to be taken into account is we have a problem, we need to find a solution to the problem, and it's a you know it's an existing problem, so you can turn a blind eye to anything, as as I say to a lot of people, but if you're not if you're not addressing the problem nothing's going to change. And to your point, you know, we have, we have to start at some point to make changes, um, whether it be policing changes, whether it be 
local community leaders get involved. Um, you know, any any aspect of the of the process needs to be corrected because what it is now, you know, um, I mean, it has to be changed. In other words, but you know, we have to applaud uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick, as you said, to to begin the conversation, and then obviously the ownership and the NFL primarily because they they could have went negative technically if they wanted to, but they didn't. So kind of a bad PR move, anyways. I think, and they took they took the road where the owner stood up for his player. So at that point, as a league, you just say, okay, well, we're just going to accept that. Um, you know, somebody sent me a tweet, Troy, about how Jerry Jones said, um, you know, you will stand for the national anthem while working for me. If you're not, then you're you're pretty much gone. So that in reality, that right there is contractual. So that's something that you know you can do it off hours. If your owner forces that leverage on you, you still can do it off hours if you're not going to do it with an employment. You know what I mean? So it's kind of like that is what I was um, sent. So I don't know if you saw the article or not from the Dallas, on the Dallas News or something like that. I did see the article, and actually I, I, I was actually pretty surprised. Um, so I had a few opinions on that. One, I just think, with Jerry Jones and the Dallas Cowboys location, I think that bodes for more of a um, uh, pressure cooker, if if you will. Uh, he's in he's in this, in Texas. In Texas, they have a lot of pride in the state of Texas, and they also have a lot of pride in the United States. So, um, and then you also have the you know people that Jerry Jones does business with, and you know they are going to you know. They're they're leveraging their position. So basically, this is all about leverage. I don't think this is necessarily coming directly from Jerry Jones. I think it's more so him looking at it from a business aspect, and the people that he partner up with, kind of, you know, made maybe mentioned to him, maybe outright, maybe it was just in passing about how they felt about it, and then Jerry Jones decided to say what he said. Now, with that being said. Um, it would be pretty hard for Jerry Jones to do that if his entire team <laughs> stood up and they decided to protest the national anthem. So I understand where Jerry Jones is coming from, and maybe down the line he'd be able to pay someone back. But it, honestly, in my opinion, it's an empty threat, number one. There's nothing in the player's contract that says that they have to stand or they have to sit or do whatever they have to do for the national anthem. But in that, in that respect, do you want to piss off your boss? So, you know, these players have a choice to make. When it comes to that, more than likely it seems like they're going to go with what Jerry Jones said. Me, personally, I wouldn't sit right with that. But then again, I'm not a very good person to – I have problems with authority, always have. And I feel like, you know, right is right, wrong is wrong. And I just think it's not Jerry Jones' place to go ahead and make that decision for them. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, that, that's why I was kind of like – I understand the aspect of it, but with the same token, I'm thinking – Okay, well, uh, it has to be business pressure. You know what I'm saying? Because he hadn't come out before that. So it had to have been, to your point, something to do with the business end of it for him to just, you know, throw it out there so that uh, whoever he's dealing with understood where his stance was. Um, so, Troy, Alabama rolls. They're 4-0. Ohio State, 3-0. Louisville, this kid keeps just doing his thing in Louisville. Uh, Harbaugh. 4-0 now in fourth in Michigan. Clemson, 4-0. A lot of 4-0s, a lot of 3-0s. I mean, how does this unshuffle? Uh, the more you play, the more, you know, the more it gets kind of uh, jumbled up. 
you know, um, so this week is going to be some huge matchups in the college football world. All of this stuff is going to start untangling at this point. This is what you would call more like a judgment day weekend coming up. You have Clemson. They're going to be at Death Valley at home, and they have this freight train coming in there with Louisville and Lamar Jackson. This is going to be a huge test. So that's going to be one way where the rankings start to unfold. One of those teams are going to have to lose. Uh, so it would be number three, uh, Louisville, against number five, Clemson. And then you have the, the Michigan Wolverines. They're going to be laying in wait in the big house in Ann Arbor. They have Wisconsin coming in. Wisconsin's been on a tear. Initially, that's what it looked like when they beat when they beat LSU in the beginning of the season. Um, and then they also beat Michigan State. So Michigan, it, it, just to let you, let me draw some comparisons of, of how it's a little bit confusing with Wisconsin. So Wisconsin, when they beat LSU in Lambeau, people looked at that as a huge upset because LSU was ranked so highly. They were anticipated. They have a Heisman Trophy candidate running back, and, you know, they were ranked pretty highly, and Wisconsin beat LSU. And then Wisconsin beats a Michigan State team who looked hot after Michigan State beat Notre Dame. Well, LSU just fired their coach Les Miles. Notre Dame uh, lost to Texas in the beginning of the year and then also looked pretty bad in the um, – uh, they, well, they, they looked okay against Michigan State, but they, their defense isn't very good. And then Notre Dame ends up losing to Duke. So then you sit back and say to yourself, Michigan State wasn't as good. Um, Wisconsin may be not that good. And then on the flip side, you say, well, Michigan hasn't played anybody also. But then Colorado shows up, and they beat Oregon last week. Michigan had a tough time with Colorado. So at this point, people just – they don't know what to expect. And so when these things start to unfold, which is this weekend, is going to be a proven ground for all of these teams. You'll see who's the fraud, who's for real, and they likely will take that kind of momentum going into the next game. Now we look. We we had talked about Houston at the beginning. You knew that you said their schedule wasn't you know no big deal because they got you know not top ranked people. So they still have a chance. They beat out uh, I think Texas State sixty four to three. Stanford took care of UCLA this past weekend. Uh, Wisconsin uh, blew out Michigan State. Um, let's see how I'm, I just wrote wrote all these down so we can kind of go through them. Clemson twenty six to seven over Georgia Tech behind uh, Deshaun uh, Watson. Um, the U- Watson. Utah beat USC, which uh, I don't know if that's surprising or not, but technically, you know, Pac House. So, you know, I'm, I'm assuming Utah has improved the number 24 to beat up uh, unranked USC. Uh, I don't know how that, you know, works out, but uh, basically they win. They edge, basically, USC. Uh, Alabama, as you had pointed out before, not going to have a problem at this point. Uh, against Kent State, that was just Jalen Hurts and company there. Um, so Louisville with uh, Lamar Jackson, which is probably the story of the season right now, right for the Heisman. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he is far and away right now. He is the absolute front runner. It's not even close. I mean, because you had a lot of the players um, who were hyped to be, you know, Heisman hopefuls. And they were initially the front runners, um, like Deshaun Watson, who who was actually going to be Lamar Jackson's counterpart this weekend. Um, he has not played very well, so he's dropped off the list. He's met. He's he's not even in the running anymore. 
So Lamar Jackson right now is far and away the best player in college football. This weekend is where he can solidify it. Clemson's defense is nowhere near how they played last year. They lost so many players um, to the draft. So Clemson hasn't reloaded on defense. They're still dynamic on offense, but they're very young, which is why you've seen Deshaun Watson kind of struggle. So this weekend, right, you're going to see who's the truth, who's improved, who's the better team. I just think, honestly, I think Louisville is just way too strong. They're very under – everyone's paying attention to Lamar Jackson, but a lot of people don't pay attention to their defense. And their defense is really what's what's making it so – crazy if you see how they line up uh i've seen them line yep. up in a you know a four three you've seen them in a dime and then you've seen them come out also where they have two down linemen and everyone else is standing up kind of moving around you have no idea where these players are going to come from they have exotic blitzes they have exotic coverages this team is absolutely on a roll and for college players it's a very difficult to try to figure out where these guys are coming from i don't see anyone stopping this team and that's including houston further on down the road I think Louisville takes this all the way to the title game. What do you think of Tennessee uh, going into – do you think they're contenders for the SEC? I mean, at this point, uh, they had like an 18-point comeback against, uh, I think, the Gators. My notes here is – yeah, 18-point comeback against the Gators. Uh, Joshua Dobbs and Antonio Callaway there. Um, What do you think of them in terms of uh, Florida and um, Jalen Hurd out in Tennessee? Well, Tennessee initially this season they were they were, they had high hopes, um, and they struggled in their opener um, against Appalachian State. Uh, they played very well against Virginia Tech, um, and then they struggled a little bit against Ohio. So people didn't really know what to expect when they played Florida. Florida has pretty much owned Tennessee over the past few years, and the biggest thing is that Tennessee was down. They were down big against the Gators at home. And for Tennessee to come back and play the way that they did, that confidence boost, that you beat a team that is your biggest rival, you also came back from that, from you know, from being down, and you beat a team that you haven't beaten in a long time, that bodes so well for Tennessee. They are sky high right now. They have, another, they have a Georgia team that's coming in next week who took a huge loss uh, this past week to Ole Miss. So with Georgia reeling, Tennessee running sky high. They have to go to Athens to play Georgia. I still don't think it matters. I think Tennessee right now is too hot. They're too confident. And Georgia right now is a bit of a quagmire. I think Tennessee is really going to go on a roll at this point. And the rest of their schedule kind of shakes out. Um, It's it's the SEC, so it's a little bit tough. You still have Texas A&M after Georgia. And then you have to go your plant at home against Alabama. So it doesn't get any easier. But if they get past that murderer's row at that point, it looks really, really uh, promising for this Tennessee team because after that they have South Carolina, Tennessee Tech, University of Kentucky, Missouri, and Vanderbilt, not the toughest guys. So if they can get past Georgia, Texas A&M, and Alabama, and that's a huge if, Tennessee is going to be just sky high at that point. Now we got featured games this weekend. Uh, Thursday it's going to be Houston against Connecticut. Uh, undefeated Houston against Connecticut at this point. Um, you know, uh, Greg Ward Jr., you got uh, taking on um, Noel Thomas out there. Um, you got Stanford, number seven Stanford, taking on uh, Washington uh, Friday, I believe, yeah, Friday on ESPN. So Jake Browning out there in Washington, as well as Kristen McCaffrey. 
uh, for Stanford. And then on Saturday, you got the big slate of games that are coming up, as you're mentioning right now. So uh, Saturday, what is the game to look for if we had to look at Saturday as an, on a nutshell? Because the other two games are going to be pretty much um, – I, I doubt Houston's going to lose to Connecticut, but, you know, you never know. But technically the way they're rolling right now, I doubt that's going to happen. Uh, Washington at Stanford, it's always a tough battle. It's kind of a rivalry battle there in the Pac-10, and they're playing in Washington. Um, so for Saturday's game, we got uh, big matchups here. Which one I'm talking about here? Let me go look and I'm trying to look at the uh, notes that I had on here. Um, Ohio State at Rutgers. So that's not going to change anything, right, um, if they win. So Wisconsin-Michigan, is that something to look for at this point? Or Tennessee-Georgia, what's the game that you would recommend to keep an eye on on Saturday? Well, you have four big games. You have four huge games. Of course, on Friday, you already mentioned uh, Stanford going into to Seattle. They have to play Washington. Washington is super hot right now. But Stanford is one of those teams where they just, they're just such powerful teams. They build those teams to wear you down. So you always see in the fourth quarter, as they did against UCLA, where Stanford started to wear them down a lot. And you, that's, that's the kind of team Stanford is. Washington is actually a team that's built to – go against the Stanford because that's what teams do. They see who's the top dog in there, and they build a team to be able to compete with them. So I'm looking forward to seeing how Washington equips himself. The biggest thing is going to be that Husky crowd. They are rowdy. They are a rowdy bunch up there in Seattle. They will not take this game lightly, and they cannot wait for Stanford to get in there. But I still think Stanford prevails. It's going to be a huge game up in Seattle. The second game, of course, is the Michigan Wolverines against the Wisconsin Badgers. Now, Michigan – they're pretty hot right now. They, they've been scoring a lot of points, but they have a young team. And you start to see the one thing about them is that they're actually improving every single game. Wilton Spate, he's the first-year starter. He's actually acquitted himself very well. He looks confident in the pocket. And this is the same thing you saw last year with uh, Coach Harbaugh bringing along Jake Rudock, who was the first-year first uh, starter for Michigan. As the season went on, Jake Rudock became to get better and better. And you're seeing the same thing with Wilton Spate. Wisconsin is very tough. They don't have a whole lot of name players, but the one thing that they do is they come and they fight, and it's going to be a big fight over in the big house. And the other game that I wanted to uh, allude to was the Tennessee-Georgia game. Now, again, I think Tennessee's going into Athens, and they're going to have to they're going to have to bring their A game. But are they going to be consistent? Tennessee has had problems with consistency all year. After this big game against Florida, are they going to continue that consistency and, 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 and beat up on a Georgia team that's not really playing very well? And the marquee matchup of the weekend, the must-see game, is, the, is, is Louisville against Clemson. It's going to be in Depth Valley in South Carolina. That is going to be a huge, huge, huge ACC tilt. This will decide who's going to be the ACC supreme team, and possibly the, the front runner for the national championship against one of those other bigger teams, possibly Alabama down the road. This is a can't this, uh, game. This be considered, you have to watch this game. Would this be considered Lamar Jackson's biggest test? Uh, initially, I would have said it was the Florida State game. But, you know, Florida State, okay. and because of how they played against Ole Miss, Florida State was ranked number two at the time. But what this is right. is a legitimacy game. If you've already beaten Florida State and they just destroyed Florida State, if they can come out sure. and beat Clemson even close to that kind of matchup that they've had right there, there's not going to be a team in the nation that's going to be able to stop that Louisville, that Louisville team. 
And then we're talking being on the road, too. I mean, this is a road win. It's going to be huge, like you said, to walk into Memorial Stadium there in Clemson and then um, against James Quick. Um, so it's going to, I think that would be the game to look for on, on, the, on Saturday, right? That, that would be the game. If you miss any of the other games, it should be Louisville-Clemson for the – for the uh, is it the nightcap that game? That is the that is the game that's going to be the marquee game, and it's going to be in Death Valley. I mean, and that's the, to, just the name itself evokes a response. If you're going to watch this, you have to watch it from the introduction. I need you guys to see how Clemson enters the field, and you tell me if you get goosebumps or not. This is going to be an enormous, enormous matchup. This is what college football is all about. You have to watch that game. All right. So it sounds exciting on that. Um, just so let our listeners know, if you're not uh, watching FS1 right now, make sure you put a DVR on it. Uh, FS1 is now live. So the women's uh, NFL Films Women's uh, Football Games 3 feature uh, is on FS1 right now. So you can go to FS1 right now, and you can always replay our podcast. So no worries there, right, Tori? We're always available 24-7. So you can always replay us anytime. So you can go to FS1 right now. Check out the NFL Films feature on the Women's uh, Football Games 3 that happened at the New Orleans Saints facility. All right, so this, the shakeup in the top 25 at this point, let's go through that because if, if Louisville beats Clemson, it's ACC pretty – this is basically a, ACC supremacy, right? I mean, we're talking in, in, in the conference. Then you, then you said we have to look at um, – what was the other one? The other matchup, you said Tennessee, right, SEC matchup there. That's four and all three and one, and then you uh, pointed out Wisconsin, which is Big Ten. So those are the three big games. So how does that change up in terms of the? Let's let's look at the polls now in terms of the uh, polling in itself, in terms of the rankings. So if uh, let's say Louisville's ranked third right now, right? So if they beat Clemson, who's five, does that move them up? Make them stay where they're at because Ohio State isn't really going to face anybody this weekend. That's going to be potentially to knock them off, right? Exactly right. At that point, what they would say is that um, Louisville's strength of schedule is a lot better than Ohio State's. So, in effect, if uh, whether or not Louisville beats Clemson by, you know, one point or they beat them by 100 points, more than likely they're still going to leapfrog Ohio State at that point, stating if Ohio State mm-hmm. wins their game. All right. And then Michigan at this point, uh, if they win against, uh, I think, Wisconsin, which is number eight. So if Wisconsin pulls the upset, do they move up? They've moved up three points already. Uh, up to this point, they've, they're trending upwards. Michigan has stood pretty much uh, at one point number one, right? Um, and then now number four? Uh, Michigan has – they've only been number one in one poll, and they've only had one vote for that one. So they've pretty much been stagnant at either five or four. Uh, so they, the last two weeks they've been at number four. If they end up beating Wisconsin, um, and it depends on what happens in the Clemson-Louisville uh, game, I think either one of those two teams will still be in front of Michigan. So Michigan may just have to stand pat, depending upon what the score is. Now, if they go in and they beat uh, Wisconsin by 30 points, then they would have a case to actually move up ahead of Louisville or uh, Clemson, whoever wins that game and possibly move ahead of Ohio State as well. So in, in terms of Tennessee, I mean, they're, they're 11th. Um, if they can get the win, then obviously they continue to trend up. 
maybe a 10 or 9 or something in there? Yeah, that's and that's a that's a possibility. And again, that depends on you know how they beat them. If it's a close game, and it depends on if teams in front of them have lost. Keep in mind that somebody in the Michigan uh, Wisconsin game is going to lose. Someone in the Stanford Washington game is going to lose. Uh, so if Tennessee wins that game, they're going to move up maybe one or two spots at least. So at this point, Alabama stays pretty much keel, right, based on who they're facing this week. So I, I doubt they're going to be ranked on, uh, off the number one slate. So we're looking at a, a change in shuffling between ten, uh, 2 and 10, right, at this point, if any changes. Yeah, I mean, that, you, you typically see the, the more shuffling once you get past the top, uh, past the top 10. That's where you're going to see most of your shuffling at. Um, because what happens is the teams that are in the top 10 right now are undefeated. Uh, you have some teams that are, you know, uh, uh, 10 and 20 or 11 and 20. They're also undefeated. And so they're looking to move up as well. But as long as those teams in the top 10 stay undefeated, um, it's likely that, you know, they'll stay the same. Now you're going to have three matchups that's going to be in the top 10 this weekend, which is why this weekend is so huge. So, three of those teams conceivably could be moving out of that top 10. And, you know, so you're going to see a big shakeup either way you look this weekend. Now we had talked about unranked ones. And uh, this week you got Boise state that enters the uh, polls with at number 24 on the coaching on the coaching poll. Uh, you had North Carolina and San Diego state being plugged in, in the coaches poll. How, how does that factor in Troy? I mean, does it make a difference at this point or are we, should we be on the radar? I mean, TCU actually was also on the AP 25. So is that just up and down? I mean, one week they're in one week they're out. Yeah. And it depends on if they continue their winning ways. Um, uh, San Diego state's been on a, a pretty good tear. Um, they have Donnell Pumphrey, their, their superstar running back. He's pretty much the best running back that they've had there. Uh, since uh, Ronnie Hillman, um, who used to play for the Broncos. He's also in the NFL. I, I forget what team he's at now. And then he also evokes um, uh, memories on Marshall Falk. But so San Diego State right now, they're looking pretty good. And then with Boise State, you have Brett uh, Rippon, who is the nephew of former Redskins Super Bowl winning quarterback Mark Rippon. So he's looking really well up there in Boise on that blue field, blue turf. If you haven't seen Boise State play, it would just be a treat just to watch them play at their home field because the whole field is blue. So you really don't see that all the time. So definitely check out that team, the West Coast teams. I love to see that team play. It's just a great atmosphere that they bring up there with the kids of Boise. But if they continue their winning ways, people are used to seeing Boise State in the top 25 because that program has just expanded so much. In, in the recent years, so it's not much of a surprise. San Diego State is a bigger surprise than being ranked number 19. They're 3-0 and right now, and they have a huge test uh, coming up this weekend, um, you know, against um, who they have. They have uh, South Alabama. So they should they should take care of them uh, pretty well. So I, I look to see San Diego State winning this weekend. So it's going to be a big matchup. So uh, the matchup of the week. Uh, so just remind the fans one more time. So the matchup of the week is on ABC this weekend. It's going to be Clemson, right, versus um, Louisville, right, Lamar Jackson and company yep. on the road at Death Valley. So uh, I'm pretty sure you'll be tweeting that, right? <laughs> 
Absolutely. All right, so you can go to at Troy Wilson underscore one, at Troy Wilson underscore one, and you can follow him there and obviously interact with him throughout the uh, football game. It's going to be Clemson taking on Louisville. Pretty exciting. And if this, this if, if Louisville wins, as we're talking right now, Troy, uh, Jackson should be the front runner, right, for the award? Well, he's already the front runner at this point, but he'll just even you know even more solidify his case. And I just think it'll take a really big stinker for him to get off of that. I just think right now, I don't see anyone close to him. The only person, I would, only player, I would say that's still in the same realm as him right now is Stanford's Christian McCaffrey because that kid is just absolutely dynamic and he's their biggest playmaker. He's going to continue as long as he stays healthy as long as he stays healthy to continue to make plays. So Lamar Jackson still has to be on his game because Christian McCaffrey is behind him. He's, he's, but Lamar Jackson is definitely extending his lead on this Hasman race. Yeah, so it's going to be a big game. So check it out. Um, we're going to be following Premier Troy at this point this weekend. Um, and then if you are inclined, obviously, at Troy Wilson underscore one, you get to check it out there, and uh, he'll give you your insights. You can interact with him in terms of what's going on within the game. Uh, so you get the basically an in-game cast um, at Troy Wilson underscore one. All right, um, let's move on to the National Football League. And, you know, the difference, uh, I will tell people, the difference between winning and losing is a couple knucklehead players that obviously don't make plays or the fact that they do make plays and they make you very happy. So this weekend, knucklehead players didn't make me very happy. So, dang it. You know, that's the word. Dang it. Um, so, <laughs> if you're playing fantasy football, you know what I mean. <laughs> Pretty oh, yeah. struggle. Oh, my gosh. Um, you know what I mean? The the, the roster, um, as a coach would say, you're all idiots. Didn't do your place. What the hell are we doing out there? <laughs> this damn defense. Three points isn't going to oh, cut it, people. No, I need no. I need points. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was me, Troy, this weekend. It was just like screaming. I was screaming at the screen, and now I'm like, dang, am I getting my ass whooped? Dang. And so, yeah. Thank God for Drew Brees. Yeah, my, I guess that's the only. Yeah, my, my fantasy roster has been all over the place. I, I I can barely find a running back, a serviceable running back. All the top ones are hurt. So people are scrambling right now. I have a waiver wire pickup that I've uh, that I'm looking at, and I'm looking at uh, I guess his name is uh, uh, Josh Howard um, for the Bears. It looks like he's going to be taking over that running back spot, so I went ahead and picked him up. Hopefully, he give me some some yards because no running back that I have has been doing anything for me. So I'm struggling right now in my fantasy football leagues. Seriously, I mean. Uh, if you want some fantasy football advice, go to at thefantasygreek.com, at thefantasygreek.com. Pretty good insights there. Um, and, you know, uh, NFL Fantasy puts out the thing where it doesn't help anybody, you know, that little clip that they do where you never picked up a player and then this guy scores. And every time I watch that highlight reel, you know, where it says it didn't help anybody, uh, I sort of feel depressed because I'm like, Dang it, if I could have had that guy. And you know how you go through your lineup sometimes and you're like, I'm gonna, my inclination is to pick this guy over this guy. And then on Sunday, the guy that you didn't pick is the one that put up all the points. And yeah, like, I mean, I, I, you know, I went, I went you're bashing it. your head on concrete pretty much and you're blooding yourself out because you're like, damn. 
Yeah, my starter scored 61 points, and my bench literally scored 99 points. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. That, that was hurtful, very hurtful, that, very. Troy, uh, Troy, in, in fantasy, in fantasy football, Troy, that, that's called a horrible general manager. That's, that's what it's called. That's what I was Pretty told much. the first two years I played. When I, I I had over 80 points on my bench and nobody else was there. And one of my guys named Rick, who I, who I played with, he goes, you're just a horrible general manager, Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I'm last, bastard. Sorry, speak my French yeah. here. I'm last. It doesn't make you feel good. <laughs> and he goes, you're last for a reason, because you're horrible. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? I said, I'm never playing in this league before. This is sort of depressing. I gave up. I was like, I just did a default lineup at that point, and I, I came in like ninth out of ten. So I still made, you know, the top ten, which is one above the last place. So very proud of myself, given the fact that I gave up early. Gotcha. It's, it's not good. You know what I mean? When you when you got 90 points on the bench and you got no, no points on the other side, you really have to pull your hair out. You know what I mean? You're like you're yeah. plugging your hair out. You don't want nobody to talk to you. Like, I have people yeah, coming in, I have- hey, you want the, I, I don't want to talk to you right now. I don't want to talk to you right now. Do you yeah. understand? My, it's just a game. Pro- you come over here and I'll show yeah. you what a game is. <laughs> it, it, it was it was embarrassing, man. I mean, I, I had Gronk. I started Gronk and then put um, uh, what's his name? Ah, oh, jeez. Uh, tight end for Seattle, Jimmy Graham, and I put him on the bench. Jimmy Graham lit up, and, and Gronk didn't. He barely even played. So I'm just looking at my lineup like, you got to be kidding me. They said Gronk was going to start. And Gronk barely got So did I. I had Gronk on plays. there, too. Oh, jeez. Oh, man, I was so The angry. return of Gronk, and I was like, I'm plugging him in. I'm plugging him in. Good guy. And then yep. no points. Exactly. I'm like, he gave me I'm, I'm checking my feet going, uh, what's going on here? Did Belichick even put him in the game? And then I come to figure out, didn't really do anything. And I'm like, I, I, I was cursing for it. I will tell yeah. you that. I was cursing. <laughs> It's like a horrible general manager from the booth, and you're like, what are you doing to me? Ticket holders yeah, are not going to come back. It's <laughs> embarrassing. You know, it's, but you know what? I, I went with Drew Brees this week. I took uh, um, Atlanta. Atlanta, a couple uh, – I have a couple Atlanta. I have the Freeman as a running back, and so he did pretty well. I mean, I, I can't complain. I, I came in third out of – Came in third out of ten, so it's, it can't be that bad. But I like to come first. I'm just a winner. I don't want to come first. I don't want to be a horrible general manager. Just I want to be the general manager. I want to be somebody that they look up to and go, that guy. That guy has what he. Yeah, that guy knows what he's doing. He's got his head on. He's got his head on. Screwed on right. Yeah, I've not. I have never been the big dog in fantasy, so I don't expect this year. I mean, at some point, I'm, I'm going to be on the pack or bottom of the pack or. Maybe make the playoffs or something, but you know, I'm in the same boat my Rams are. Does that make sense? I'm like in that that transition stage where I'm lousy and good. You mean you're? I didn't even expect. You mean you're two and one? I didn't even expect them to beat the Bucks. I didn't even. I'm so, I, one of my one of my best friends who's a Ram fan says you're you're giving up on the team already. You're you shouldn't even be a a, a homer for the team anymore because you're like doubting them. I'm like, well, I just can't most of this coach's stuff and all of a sudden they they bust out against Tampa Bay. I said, so unless he unless he's got coals up his ass where he's making better changes, you know, or somebody got to him. Okay, we're winning. We're two and one. Good. I'm happy. But 
2-1 going to really get us to the next level? So we'll see uh, as the schedule progresses. But, you know, I was shocked even though we beat the Seahawks. So. Yeah, I was less shocked about that because, I mean, they have the Seahawks number. I mean, you look over the past few years, I mean, they pretty much own the Seahawks. They're the only team that you can really say that about. So the Rams just match up really well against them, and I think that built their confidence up. And they played a tough Buccaneers team who can score a lot of points. They And I was actually very surprised that they outscored that team. But, man, you got to take your hat off to them. I, they, I didn't know they had it in them. I mean, maybe it was a good thing that Fisher <laughs> got that. Got that uh, extension. I know that pisses you off. I don't want to hear that, Troy. I don't want to hear that, Troy. My banner is still fire. Hashtag fire Fisher. I don't want to hear that. I don't even want to have a conversation with a beer over that. Not even a beer. (laughs) Take your chips. Walk out of the school and and walk out, my man. He looked good. He looked good, though, man. Uh, if, if, If he could take us to the promised land, which is, the playoffs, as I had mentioned prior on my Facebook page, somebody called me out on it. So if he goes to the playoffs, you're going to admit that you're wrong. I said, if he goes to the playoffs, I'm going to admit that he was a genius. But that's it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but other than that, he's not the greatest coach ever, as Shannon uh, Sharp said. <laughs> he's a mediocre coach. He's just mediocre. He's not like anything to wow over. Um, Texans lose J.J. Watt. Uh, so... Big deal, no big deal. What do you think? Huge deal. I mean, he's the reigning defensive MVP three years in a row. So, I mean, yeah, that's that's enormous. I mean, because that is what you've built your entire defense around is J.J. Watt's play. And the Texans were on a hot streak. I mean, yeah, just got cooled off a little bit when the Patriots destroyed them. But, I mean, it was the Patriots. You figured they could have bounced back from that. But with losing J.J. Watt, what who's going to step up on that defense? I mean, so now you're looking at, you know, um, your stars of Jadavian Clowney. Uh, then you got your uh, your veterans of Vince Wilfork. Who's going to step up and start making those plays? But you cannot replace that guy. So everyone's going to have to chip in and step up for their effort. All right. So, Troy, I'm going to throw some names out there. Uh, Trevor, Simon, and James Winston. Which was the players of the week voted in for this uh, for this week's uh, NFL FedEx? So, um, you know, impressive on both ends. Or, I mean, James and company almost beat the Rams. They just couldn't they couldn't muster enough to get to beat them. Uh, the successor to obviously Peyton Manning here. He hasn't done too bad. He's managed the game. So, what's your thoughts on those two players right now for this week? Well. Well, with Jameis Winston, I expected him to make a jump. I mean, saw, seeing what he did as the Heisman Trophy winner at Florida State uh, as a freshman and how you played his second year there, and, I mean, the guy was just a – he was just a flat-out beast. He, he, he Last year, you saw him throw the ball around, uh, wanted to make plays. He had a lot of interceptions, but you kind of expect that from a younger guy. And this year, people expected him to make a jump maybe up to the top 15, maybe even the top 10 quarterbacks in this league, and he has – he had a rough game in the second game, but this game he came back. He was firing the ball around, spreading it around. The one thing I love about him is his confidence. He is an absolute competent quarterback, and now he looks like he's in shape. So I'm not really surprised about the year that he's having. With Trevor Simeon, expected him to kind of, you know, be the game manager somewhere along the lines of Russell Wilson there in his freshman, his rookie year. Now Trevor Simeon is this is his second year, so he's been in that system. And he knows a little bit about it. But in the beginning of the year, um, I kind of said that 
uh, their offense would still be better. They could, they had to have been better because Peyton Manning just was not getting it done last year. Brock Osweiler, he was week to week. It depended on, you know, um, the time of day with this kid. But with Trevor Simeon, he's been steady. He's been making things happen. And what I think what happened was is that um, the Bengals were going to stop the run and dare them to throw. And, and Trevor Simeon came up and he made some plays. He made huge plays. I was definitely surprised about the day that he had, but not surprising that he's been as efficient as he's been. So hats off to both of those players. Now we had LaShawn McCoy and uh, Blunt. Pretty good, pretty impressive games this, this past week, uh, including Michaels of the Seahawks. So uh, were you surprised McCoy had a good game? Obviously, uh, the Buffalo's, uh, Buffalo kind of rebounds after going to Arizona there. Well, Shady McCoy is one of the top running backs in the league. So you kind of expect him to to make his bones that way. I was impressed that he did it against the team that he did it against. That was the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, they make their, yep. their bones on defense. And so for him to make those plays and to, to come up big against that team, especially after the Buffalo Bills fired their offensive coordinator uh, the week before, but you're starting to see that as a trend in the NFL. Last year, Detroit, they fired their offensive coordinator, and they um, promoted Jim Bob Cooter to the offensive coordinator. And that all of a sudden, that offense started to take off. And then you see the same thing this year. Greg Roman gets fired for the Bills. All of a sudden, uh, the Bills are just, you know, they're airing it out. They're taking, you know, they're, they're running the ball, and they look very efficient out there. So I'm not necessarily surprised that they're doing well, but I didn't think that they would do as well as they did against them. Now, with LeGarrette Blunt, you figured they were going to have to come out and run the ball because you had Jacoby Brissett. He's a third-string quarterback. He's a rookie. Very little experience. They were going to have to run that ball, but I was suppo- I was surprised that with the Texans' defense, the way that they've been played, that they didn't get a chance to stop that team. you got to take your hat off to Bill Belichick. In my opinion, what he's done is the absolute best coach in the NFL history at this point. The guy just flat out gets it done, and you can't take anything away from him for that one. What's your prognosis at this point for New England? Uh, they come back. Brady will be back. Are, are they going to cruise through the East at this point, do you think? Well, it's the NFL, so it's never going to be a cruise. But let me tell you this. Um, if they're doing this, with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. And by the way, both of those players are injured right now. Uh, but one of them are going to make a start this weekend, and we're just not sure who. Um, so what's going to happen when, when the ace gets back, when the, probably, arguably, the best quarterback in NFL history comes back? He's 39 years old, but he can still sling it around better than anybody. I just – just to watch that team doing what they do. No one in the East is going to challenge them. The Jets certainly are not going to challenge them. Don't even think about it with Miami. The only team that could possibly challenge them right now would be the Buffalo Bills, and they have acquitted themselves very well last the last few weeks to win. Well, they lost to the Jets, but then they came back and they beat Arizona this week, so hopefully they can take that momentum going forward. That's the only team that could really challenge them, and I still don't think that's enough. I still think New England cruises to the East title, and they're going to go deep into the playoff run as usual. Are we underestimating the Minnesota defense and the Kansas City defenses? Well, I think 
I, I think the nation, I think most people around the nation didn't know much about Minnesota's defense. Um, I used to talk about their defense last year. Um, they got they have Linval Joseph out there. Um, they still haven't gotten Sharif Floyd back, so they're not even they're not even fully stocked yet. But the way that they can scheme with Mike Zimmer, who is an absolute genius when it comes to defense, and then not to mention they have an absolute genius on offense, where you have North Turner being the coordinator. This team is set up for a run, and this is an indication of why they traded a first-round pick to get Sam Bradford because they felt like they knew what they had on this team and that they could make a big run with these guys. Watching how they played last week, where they took out Kelvin Benjamin, who didn't have a catch in that game, against and how they played against Cam Newton and just stifled them, what a confidence builder that is. They have already knew they had a big defense, but now I think the nation is starting to take notice that this Minnesota team is for real. You're going to see them Monday night against the New York Giants and, and see how they play against Odell Beckham. Now, if they shut down Odell Beckham and that passing game with Eli Manning, you're really, really going to be on the map at this point because the Minnesota-Carolina game was not a nationally televised game. Everyone will be watching this Monday night game, though. Was it more impressive for you that they beat uh, the Panthers on the road at this point? And is is Carolina, does Carolina have an issue because they sort of struggled against Frisco the week before until they you know they, until they beat them, but they rolled out to a ten zero lead in the first quarter, and all of a sudden after that it was basically you know Minnesota, Bradford for real at this point, Diggs for I mean the, the offense in, in in other words for Minnesota because we all we talked. We had talked about Ridgewater for so long, and now he's not here. You get a Band-Aid in terms of Bradshaw, but it was a good move for them because he brings, uh, you know, Turner's uh, offense fits really well with Bradshaw. So are you impressed more so maybe offensively with them now that they've actually turned a corner here and maybe uh, they don't have to win the game offensively, but given their defenses, like you said, uh, it's complimentary? Well, I think it's a little bit more than complimentary. And then you also have to give them, a, a, you know, big, big ups for their defense and their special teams because their special teams are the ones that, you know, put points on the board with that punt return that they had. But also with the offense, um, Bradford is going to have to make – he's going to have to be the one that makes the plays because right now um, it doesn't look like Adrian Peterson is going to come back. So you got Jarek McKinnon, who's a serviceable running back. You got Matt Asiata. Uh, he's a he's a goal line guy, and he, he you can go to him in a pinch. But you're going to have to lean more so on that defense and and also your quarterback. So it, if Bradford can progress, just like he's been doing the past few weeks, and right now he looks really good, and he's you know he he had a pretty stiff test against the Carolina Panthers. You, you're probably not going to see a better defense than that going on, you know, further on into this year. So it looks really good. It bodes very well for the for the uh, Minnesota Vikings at this point. And based on the offense that they have built together here, you have your Jimmy Graham and Kyle Rudolph right now. So that that right there is a good weapon to have. Um, so um, in terms of the offensive scheme. Yeah, and then you know you you have Rudolph and you have Stephon Diggs, who was just man. He I know he's a six round pick, and I, it was all because of injuries. But this kid is about as dynamic as you can get at the wide receiver position. I he's going to take them far. He's going to take them very far. I just think he has to be consistent. I think last year that was an issue with consistency, but at uh, but then again last year it was his rookie year. 
So this year he's looking to build on it. The first two games, this guy looks unstoppable. He played a pretty tough defense this Sunday. Let's see how he goes forward and plays against the New York Giants secondary who gave up huge, huge, huge plays left and right against the Redskins this past weekend. So at this point, Troy, um, who who do we have front running here? Who's your top team right now? Is Is it still the Patriots? I would say right now my top team would have to be the Denver Broncos. I mean, just the way that they – I mean, this it's a thing to marvel at. I mean, they're, they're as solid as you can get. And now it looks like that they have a quarterback who can get the ball and, you know, he, he can throw the ball around. I just think that overall, top to bottom, that Broncos team is about as scary as it gets. I think that team, you can easily say right now, will be the Super Bowl favorite in the AFC. Now, when Tom Brady comes back, we'll see how much continuity he has. I don't think he'll miss a beat. I mean, the guy is a veteran of all veterans right now. He's the oldest. I think he's the oldest player in the NFL right now. But he is Tom Brady. He's Tom Terrific. So, I just think, you know, the, the it's going to be between the Broncos and the New England Patriots. I would have liked to have seen – uh, the Cincinnati Bengals kind of step up and make their bones, but you know they, I just feel like they ran into a much better team this past weekend. Now it, we talked about you know uh, the Bears this past Monday and you know Cutler being out. Um, let's talk about horrible teams here. I mean, who who do you feel like needs to get get going here because the Bears had a lot of potential and then you know. Cutler pulls the same stuff he pulls almost every year in, year out, where he's got out with an injury and stuff like this. So what teams do you feel like they just, you know, they're dropping right now? They're just, they need to step up their game and stuff like that. Well, you you started with the Bears, so let's just go ahead and go there. Uh, Cutler, still out. Jeremy Langford, their top running back, he's out. Uh, you got a lot, you got a young defense. Um, they lost, um, they lost their starting defensive tackle. Uh, they lost some deep defensive backs. This team right now is struggling more than any other team in the NFL. And it doesn't look good, you know, going forward. So I just think that that team right now is it's going to be extremely tough for them to get out of that basement that they're in, especially in that division where you have the Packers. The Lions are looking pretty decent. And then, and then of course, leading the division is the Minnesota Vikings. So it doesn't look good going forward for the Bears. Uh, the other team that you got to worry about is the Saints. Now, they can score points, and Drew Brees is still throwing it around, but they have zero playmakers on defense, and that's their biggest deal. Right now they're 0-3. By the way that they played, you wouldn't they, – they could easily be 3-0. and So are they going to be able to turn that around? Uh, the other team you have to think about uh, being one of the worst teams is the Cleveland Browns. Now, Cleveland goes into Washington this weekend – now, the Redskins have been struggling a little bit, but, well, a lot on defense. But, you know, they can move the ball on offense about as easy as anyone. So, can the Browns outscore the Redskins? That's that's what you're going to have to look for. But the Browns also are not a very good team. They've had a rash of injuries, especially at the quarterback position. They have Cody Kessler, who is a rookie from USC. He'll be starting this weekend, and I believe he got a concussion or looked like he had a concussion in the game. So who knows what it's going to be at the quarterback position for the Browns. It doesn't look very good for them going forward, but they do get Josh Gordon back after this game. I got breaking news for you. Uh, LeBron James is starting this weekend in Cleveland. 
And you know what? Gotta throw it he, out would, he would probably be their best player along with. But you, but you have to give a big shout out to this guy, Terrell Pryor. Man, is this kid? Has he made yeah, the transition to, awesome. to, from from quarterback to wide receiver? I mean, he was a quarterback yeah. at Ohio State. He was drafted as a quarterback. Played for Oakland. Didn't work out. And it's a possibility that you could put Terrell Pryor at quarterback this week because all three of the quarterbacks for the Cleveland Browns are hurt. So it's a possibility yeah. Terrell Pryor could start a quarterback. That actually leaving weakens the team even further because he's their only playmaker really on offense. Troy, what what is it in Cleveland? Is it the water? I mean, it just it just seems it, like they never get any further than you know a roster set, and then all of a sudden they blow up or explode. They just they just can never seem to get up. Ever since the rebirth of them coming back, it's it's been anemic. Yeah, it has, and it's also just been one thing after another that just makes the Browns look really, really bad. And, you know, just whether it's picking the wrong players or bringing the wrong free agents, it's just, just flat-out bad luck. I just, You know, it's been one thing after another. I think when they first came back, it was two years, and then they got into the playoffs, and they had some bad luck against the Pittsburgh Steelers, just like every other team in that division has in the playoffs. And ever since then, it's just been just awful for the Browns. I would like to see this team come up. I mean, I used to root for them back in the day in in the early 80s when you had Bernie Kozar, you had Reggie Langhorn, Webster Slaughter. Um, you had the two corners, Frank Bitterfield, Hanford Dixon, Clay Matthews Sr. Though that team right there was, was when Cleveland was, was really great. And even at that point, they couldn't get it over the hump because they would always end up losing to Denver in the AFC Championship game. I would like to see that team go back to how it used to be because that is an absolute, you know, early seat, early NFL team, and you like to see them do very well. Well, there's a plus to this week. Uh, they move up one from the Bears moving to 32nd, so we have to just do a golf clap for that, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> They're moving bad, on up. Bad football team. <laughs> Bad football. Oh, uh, the Jaguars. We were so hyped on the Jaguars when we first opened the season. We are doing the preview. <laughs> we thought Bortles was going to be the man. <laughs> the Allen brothers and uh, God, this this Jacksonville team has disappointed us <laughs> big time. Uh, yeah. Is it appropriate? Do they deserve to be thirtieth? <laughs> they do, and it's because they for some reason can't get out of their own way. They just they make too many mistakes at the most inopportune times. And the one thing you can see with that team is is they don't know how to win. They just don't. I mean, they they get in close games, and they how well did they played against uh, Green Bay, who was a solid team. They played very well against Baltimore, who was a solid team, but they just could not get it done. And to watch that team kind of flounder in big moments, you have to sit back and say, this is either you're going to get off of that that habit or it's going to continue. And you hate to see that because that team is stocked with a lot of talent, but they have some fatal flaws. They can't run the football. Uh, they can't, they turn the ball over too much. And on defense, even though they do have some great defenders over there, they can't seem to make plays or they blow on assignments at the wrong time. So you want to see them get it together. But right now I would say, yeah, I mean, the 30th best team in the NFL sounds about right. And we already talked about the Saints being what they are. So uh, at this point, the bottom feeders will go, you know, 
San Francisco uh, didn't look too bad against Carolina. Uh, they looked good against the Rams. And then, you know, uh, they got their quarterback situation as well there where Kaepernick's not ready to come back. And they're going with Blaine Gabrick as well. So it feels like 2015, doesn't it, for the Niners? Are you there, Troy? Troy? I'm here. All right. So I said it feels like 2015 for the Niners. It's like they keep – they just – they do well and then they don't do well. Well, I mean, the, the Niners, as you alluded to earlier, 2015, they started off last year, beat the Minnesota Vikings. Minnesota ended up making the playoffs, and San Francisco was just San Francisco. So, I mean, it was kind of the same thing uh, this year. They started off really well, won the first game, and now they're starting to come back to earth. I just think that this team has – they don't have enough playmakers at all. I mean, they just, you know, at the wide receiver position – you know, you you have um, uh, Torrey Smith. He and and other than that, no one on that offense scares you. So they uh, you have Carlos Hyde, but he's only one guy, and he's honestly he's one you know bad hit away from being hurt again. So who who do you go to on that team? And it's kind of hard to sit back and say they should play better because I'm surprised that they even have one win at this point. Looking at the talent that they have on their roster, just not a very talented team. They're in complete rebuild mode, and it's going to – it looks like, to me, from what I can see on their roster, it's going to take three or four years to build that team up. I just want to let everybody know um, you can watch on FS1 tonight. Uh, it's going to be the uh, NFL Films broadcast of the Women's World Football Games 3. Um, you can check out uh, interviews with Jen Wilker. Uh, you can check out interviews with Odessa Jenkins, Katie Sowers, Liz Sowers. Uh, Aspen Marshall. Um, there's a bunch of international players as well. Um, so they'll be focused tonight on FS1. And uh, that's part of the uh, the Women's World Football Games uh, by USA Football that happened last year, 2015. And so um, take a look at it. It should be a replay tonight. Um, so check your local listings. You can go to FS1. You can check out the replay there and take a look and, uh, and replay that. And we'll, we'll, we'll actually link it up in a couple minutes here, as soon as we get the link on, um, you'll get to watch it on our Facebook page as well as our Twitter feed. Um, so don't miss FS1's presentation of NFL Films broadcast of the WWFG uh, 2015 event. So that'll be on there as well. Thanks to Odessa Jenkins for providing us some of the video uh, that's going on with the feed. Uh, we should get the official feed uh, coming up soon here probably in the next hour or so we'll check, we'll check it out and check it out on that so back to football here uh nfl football um san diego um you know evaluating the chargers defense um you got to evaluate them they're up and down one week they were doing well and then the next week the offense takes over uh keenan allen and danny woodward you know uh then then you lose you lose a player there. Unfortunately, the absence of Keenan—I should say—the the absence of Keenan Allen and Danny Woodward. Uh, but somehow uh, they're one and two. So um, they haven't looked horrible with Gordon uh, and, and Rivers. But what do you think? They're mo- they're going to move up? I mean, are they going to go up, and not down? Well, they played the Saints this week, so um, that bodes well for them. And, and the Saints have to come across the country to San Diego. Uh, Drew Brees coming back home to the, to the team that drafted him with the second-round pick out of Purdue. 
Um, it's going to be a, a high-scoring game. Neither team has boasts the best defense. Manti Teo for the middle linebacker for San Diego. He tore his Achilles. He's out for the season, so it's already weakening the team who, you know, are missing some players. Um, so look forward to watching the shootout out there. I think the San Diego Chargers actually are equipped to handle, um, you know, this type of uh, injuries, the rashes of injuries that they have right now. And you kind of see this every year with this Charger team where they lose guys um, and they use, they lose big players. But then Philip Rivers, as long as he's back there, I just feel like this team has a chance. I'm looking forward to seeing if they can bounce back because neither one of the – I mean, either the Saints are going to be 0-4, which we kind of expected them to be. We expected them to be a pretty bad team this year. But San Diego, I thought they were kind of a middle-of-the-road team or a possibility where they can uh, actually make it to the playoffs. I just thought that their roster was that good. But since they had these injuries, you got to kind of change focus at that point. Travis Benjamin taking over uh, for Keenan Allen. He's looks really strong. Uh, want to see if he can continue this going down. And then also if Melvin Gordon can continue his streak. Well, he's been uh, running pretty well the past few weeks. So he's a lot better in his sophomore season than he is in his rookie season last year. I want to remind everybody they can go to Zazzle.com, Zazzle.com, for slash gridiron beauties. You can get all types of tees, hoodies, and gifts at Zazzle.com, for slash gridiron beauties. We are supporting the Women's Outback team for the 2017 IFAB World Championships. You go to the shop, go to the link for the women's uh, fundraiser, get the chalk line gear there, order your gear, use the coupon, uh, order ship 10 for 10% off, or you can use the higher percent coupon on a daily basis. Sometimes Zazzle has up to 50% off, so take advantage of the um, higher percent. With, use the code on there. Uh, we really appreciate everybody going to the shop, uh, we've raised about 100, almost $200 now towards the uh, women's Outback team. We need to. Our goal was to raise at least $8,000. Uh, don't know if that's going to happen at this point, but we're going to do what we can to contribute to their uh, journey um, since they've helped us out in the past, and we've done great sales in Australia. So really appreciate everybody out there in Aussie land. And uh, don't forget to check out uh, Gridiron Queensland action, Gridiron New South Wales action, um, and we'll get the feeds out there as well on our Facebook page. So you can go to facebook.com for us at Beauties. You can go to the Twitter feed at Gridiron Beauty. Um, Troy, uh, the Buccaneers at this point, um, you know, the, the Rams sort of, uh, you know, Robert Quinn and company, they just they take one from them. So it's a tough, tough loss for them. And then you got your Redskins also in the top 10 bottom. Uh, so at this point, they're looking at, you know, moving up at this point. Do um, you think they're going to do their progressions here, um, moving up? And then the Rams kind of come up in the top 20 ne- next to the Lions. So um, what do you think of them two? You know, I mean, my Rams, I just, I was, I'm shocked. I, I will tell you right now, I really thought uh, against the Seahawks, they were going to lose uh, against the Bucks. I thought they were going to get beat at least, you know, they were going to get beat. At, I, I knew they were going to play tough. They're going to play good ball. I, I mean, defensively, they always play good. But I just thought, you know, Winston and um, and Wilson, I thought they were going to – but they've they've proven me wrong. So I have, I've had to eat my words two weeks in a row. So the Ram D held uh, on Jeremy's Winston, and, and that, that gave them the win. Well, with the Rams, I, I, I'm surprised as well. Uh, just, you know, seeing how they played against it just uh, – 
a San Francisco team where you just I didn't see it. any indication that San Francisco would beat the Rams that way. But, you know, you got to take your hat off to <laughs> – I know this is going to make you throw up in your mouth, but you got to take your hat off to Jeff Fisher for getting his team prepared right to come now. in and play Seattle. <laughs> to play Seattle and, and also beat the Bucks team. But this week, I mean, they have to go to Arizona. We know how tough Arizona is, but you know what? Carson Palmer, he's struggling a little bit. He's struggling a little bit. I mean, that, this team, man, I I can't figure out the Cardinals right now. We expected a lot more out of them right now. They're one and two. Are they going to be as angry as they were the previous time where, you know, they lost to the Patriots in the opener, came back and, and just just destroyed, you know, and scored like 40 points um, the very next week. So are we going to see that Cardinals team or are we going to see the Cardinals team that came to Buffalo and just got – beaten by a team that virtually should not have beaten them. So I just think that this week really, the Cardinals kind of get back on the shit, on the right track. I really think the uh, fire hashtag Fisher banners at the Coliseum did justice for us because we pick up two wins. So I'm thinking <laughs> that was a factor. I will take credit for that right now. I think I will take the credit for that because <laughs> I put the you know pedal to the metal to this coach. If he beats the Cardinals, That'll be three weeks in a row that I have to eat my words. And, God, that, that hurts me to say this, but I will have to give him credit. <laughs> credit. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's it'll hard be for me to say that word. I have to give them credit. If, if, they beat, if they beat a Bruce Arians Cardinals team, God, that is – you beat Wilson, you beat Winston, and then you end up beating Palmer. All of it, they go to three and one. Am I going to eat my words? I'm not apologizing to the coach, by the way. Just like, <laughs> but I will eat my yeah, words and be a good man and say, I, I, I'm, I doubted him. Um, so I doubted him from the beginning. He's proven me wrong uh, two weeks in a row. And so hats off to the Booster Club in California. Thank you very much for putting up the fire, fire Fisher banner up there. So. Maybe he's looking at that and going, "Whoa, this fan base is going to eat me alive if we don't, you know, improve quickly." Especially after the yeah. disaster in San Francisco. You know what I mean? So hats off to the Rams and the Ram D, and uh, obviously the special teams that they've been doing a good job. Um, because offensively, I don't, I haven't seen anything major out of it. But Kenny Britt did pretty good this weekend. So uh, let's go Redskins right now. So Redskins one and two. Can they can they go to 500? That's the question. Absolutely, I just think that they right now they their offense, their offense, man. I mean, I, so I watch. I'm, I'm a video. I'm, I'm a nut. Um, so I watched the game on. Or I heard the game on the radio because I was actually doing some repairs. And then I went home and watched the film. And then I watched it again. And then I watched it again. Yes, I watched the game three times. I'm a loser. Uh, but. <laughs> The one thing that I saw from the Redskins is number one, they made plays on defense. Um, they they tried, to, they took the ball away. That's the play. That's the way they're going to have to play the rest of this year because they are fundamentally just not sound on defense. They can't. They just somehow blow coverages, uh, mess up the contain, and they cannot stop the run to save their lives. But on offense, the Redskins scored twenty nine points. If Kirk Cousins would have saw what I saw and also what, you know, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman saw, the Redskins could have scored 50 points. They could have scored 60 points on the Giants because you had guys that were running wide open for touchdowns virtually every single drive that the Redskins had. 
If the Redskins go back and look at that film and then see the mistakes that they made, and Kirk Cousins can now learn how to, you know, not necessarily get ball get, get rid of the ball so quick, trust his protection, and wait for things to get open downfield, this offense can be completely unstoppable because they have so many weapons on offense. Are they going to be able to put it all together is the question. I just really don't have enough faith in this coaching staff, but I think this week, this week, we're talking specifically, I think they beat the Browns, and I think they beat them pretty easily at home. They owe the home fans, and they know how big this game is to win another home game. They cannot lose three straight home games this year. Awesome. So we ended up on that note. Uh, we got to get out of here because it's almost time to go. But uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Share our podcast uh, on Facebook, Twitter, and every other uh, outlet you can, uh, iTunes as well. Uh, right here on Block Talk Radio and, and UltimateSportsTalk.com. Go to UltimateSportsTalk.com. Check out all the WWE, MMA, and other, other major sports information at UltimateSportsTalk.com. Um, and you can get the link also on our Twitter feed as well. So for Troy Wilson, Oscar Lopez, we'll catch you here next week. Uh, make sure you catch the FS1 episode of the Women's uh, Football uh, Games 3 on FS1. It should have been on 10 p.m. Eastern, so if you missed it, should be a replay uh, this this evening, and then uh, should have it on YouTube probably within a couple of days. And we'll go ahead and post it up on our Facebook page and our Twitter feed. So Troy, uh, we got a couple seconds here. So any any last minutes here? Just don't forget to watch that Clemson Louisville game. I'm telling you right now, that's going to be a huge game. You got to watch it from the beginning. Watch Clemson come down down that hill in Death Valley. You cannot miss it. You will be a college football fan for life once you see it. Awesome. So uh, don't forget to go to our Zazzle shop before we get out of here, Zazzle.com forward slash Grand Beauties, and check out our stuff at Zazzle.com. Support the project and use order ship 10 for 10% off or any available higher code at Zazzle.com. So for the informative Troy Wilson, we'll be here next Tuesday uh, for more information on the women's recaps as well as NFL football and college football. So stay tuned to the Gridiron Blitz all weekend long. Make sure to replay our podcast and share them out. So appreciate all the listeners and all the support that you've given us. Um, catch Troy Wilson this weekend, college football, at Troy Wilson underscore one, and at Gridiron Beauties on Twitter. Have a great evening, everybody. We'll catch you here next week right here on Block Talk Radio and UltimateSportsTalk.com. See you guys. <laughs>